Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 780th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today's podcast is a replay of our monthly garden chat that we do at Urban Farm U. It is a conversation between my partner Heidi and I about moving to our new farm a year and a half ago. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, welcome everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from Urban Farm U. And I am here with my lovely beloved Heidi. Hello, Heidi. Hello, good to be here. I, I have to tell you, everybody, that I have been after her to get on a call with me that's going to show up on the podcast, what, for at least five years? Probably, yeah. I'm reticent, but happy to be here. Um, so tonight, what we're going to be talking about is this massive move that Heidi and I made after living in Phoenix for Heidi her entire life, and me for 54 years of my life, which was most of my life, to Asheville, North Carolina. And the what we've been doing since we got here. Maybe let's just jump in and share the process. Let's start there, Heidi. Right. Um, I'll, I'll go first so you don't feel put on the spot. So Phoenix is 4.7 million people. And I lived in a five mile radius for 54 years. And that was right in the middle of that many people. And so apparently about 15 years ago, I started telling my friends that when my parents had were passed on, I was going to be finding someplace quiet. And when Heidi and I met a decade ago, I said, you know what, Heidi, I want to go someplace quiet. And she said, you know what, Greg, all my yoga students are in Phoenix, Arizona, and I can't leave Phoenix. And so I'm with Heidi. I'm not going any place. She's not going or she, yeah, you know what I mean? I'm not leaving her. So I decided back 10 years ago that I would be staying in Phoenix and then COVID happened. And what happened for both of our businesses with COVID is they all got completely put online. I put my fruit tree and all my classes online and Janice helped with that. Heidi put all of her classes online. So what, about a year into COVID, you said to me, where do you want to move? And I was thinking we were moving to Cornville. And we started looking around and we were looking for a quiet space and more acreage. So if you're seeing this on the video, you can see our front yard. This was our front yard, I think in about June with the gladiolas blooming. And we ended up with four acres just about 15 minutes outside of Asheville, North Carolina. And there are four rolling acres. And I'm going to say an acre and a half to two acres is heavily wooded. So it's short of uh, wild crafting anything there. We're not doing much with that. My big reason for wanting to move besides quiet was to see how much of our own food we could actually grow. And we've actually been doing pretty good with that. I'm going to tell you about our gardens here in a little while. But you want to jump in, Heidi? Sure. Yeah. Yes. The Asheville draw was a surprise to me. I had looked everywhere in from Colorado to New Mexico, uh, all through Arizona as well, and just felt more and more drawn to this place. I had I met a couple students in my online venture through COVID that 
had lived in Arizona and then now currently for some years, 10 to 15 years, lived in the Asheville area. So it was interesting having conversations with them after a yoga class and exploring the notion of being here. And the more that I looked into it and the more sort of Venn diagram work I did of what we were looking for, it kept coming up with this area. It was a leap big time because just having been in Arizona my whole life and then knowing that, okay, now we're going to be on East coast and the South. It was, it was definitely a trip, but again, I felt compelled and drawn toward and, and I really loved it. I think that intuitive draw was definitely meant to be definitely miss my Phoenix people. And I miss things about the desert for sure. I miss my chickens that are at the urban farm and being very well tended to. They have happy hour with the chickens. So the new owners do. Yes. The new owners of the urban farm, the chickens aren't drinking, but they come and hang out. (laughs) (laughs) It's a therapy chickens and a glass of wine there. It wasn't that it was easy leaving. It certainly wasn't my beautiful yoga community of desert song, all the friendships that some I've had since I was five, four years old. So it was a big decision. And being here, even just the four seasons, my goodness, getting, getting used to that rhythm. And in yoga, we talk a lot about the rhythms of nature are the rhythms in our bodies. And for Phoenix, it was just, was always like October was springtime for me. Like, yay, I get to go outside again and feel, and then start planting again. So it's really been a trip this last year and a half, just getting into the rhythm of, oh, you get about a good three, three and a half months of a season. And then it's gliding into the next and it's colder. And for us, desert folk, that's been an interesting, I've gotten some warmer clothes. Let's put it that way. I invested in some warmer clothes, but it's not like crazy cold. It's still quite mild comparatively, but I have just fallen in love with the flora and the fauna and the frogs and the toads. I'm a frog mama right now, or I have been the last two summers. Uh, They're all heading into to uh, hibernate right now. And I'm looking forward to, we'll talk about that. I'm sure in a minute that we are building, like having built a barn area that'll be a shed and wood drying space and a potting area and a chicken coop. So I'm very excited with the prospect of being a chicken mama again, come spring. So yeah, it's been, there was definitely an adjustment. Yeah, (laughs) I'd never moved away from home and it was big. Yeah. And me 54 years in the same five square mile area. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I had at least, I had a little more practice as a family, we moved a lot more. So Mm -hmm. I'd lived in Flagstaff for a year. I'd lived way out far West by Air Force Base. I'd lived in Glendale. I lived in Phoenix with you. I had a home in Peoria. I'd moved a lot more. That was, it was probably a little easier on me. Don't you think? Yeah. 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 Well, really my first year was an emotional struggle. Yes. And you, yeah, you agree with that. Yeah. yeah. The, fir- the first year for me was uh, challenging coming into, and our first year was April 22nd. We arrived mm-hmm. of 22 of, of 20, 2022. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been here a year and a half and Heidi reminded me as we were driving down Merriman the other day, she said, Oh, there's the U-Haul place that we took the U-Haul trailer back we trailered some things here 
and across the street is a nursery. And so the day that we took our U-Haul trailer back, we found the first nursery. So this was Sunday. We arrived on Saturday and we took the trailer back on Sunday and we were in the nursery buying starter plants. (laughs) (laughs) Before we went to the grocery store. Before we went to the grocery store. Yeah, exactly. And we had a few places that we gardened and pots and in the ground. And it was a pretty big failure, our first garden. And in talking with our buddy over at uh, Arizona Worm Farm, Zach Brooks, he said, Greg, don't forget your first garden is your worst garden. And for me, my first garden was in the 1970s. So I, I was sitting over here shaking my head until he reminded me of that. The first summer, we had a little bit of stuff that grew. We bought something called a ground cherry at the farmer's market. There's some amazing farmer's markets here, by the way. But we've, we bought something called a ground cherry and put it in a 10-gallon pot. And interestingly enough, it reseeded itself the next year. The seeds just sprouted the next year in the same pot, which was pretty cool. And ground cherries are unique. That was our really our first uh, few weeks and few months here. One of the big things that we had to do was we needed to put up an instant fence around the backyard so that we could let the dog out. And so we built another, on our YouTube channel, there's a video of me putting up the instant fence. And I I was thinking about this today, Heidi, I'm going to go back to some of those first videos that I put out that show our backyard and Mm -hmm. how much it's changed. Yeah. How much the backyard has changed. You want to talk about that? Yeah. In fact, I'm just thinking about the insta fence. And before we had a covered patio, you just walk out our back door and you were just out there into the open. And I, I'm still a little weary of bumping into black bears or <laughs> raccoons <laughs> or some evening little wanderer. So I would open the glass just to flashlight out before I even let Kismet out. And now it's a little more comfortable, but that was one of the things I was just a little freaked out. I was like, okay, the night belongs to the animals. So yeah. I'm not going to be wandering out too far from the house. Uh, but I've gotten more comfortable with that as well. But the yard, yeah, it was basically you walk out the back and it, there was a stone patio with no cover. And then it was just open, right? We had the yeah. wellhead and then that was it. And you went, it went a little bit uphill, gradual uphill. And then, and then it goes to a top and then it was just some softer hills and then stronger hills and some trees in the background, pine and some poplar trees and that was it. Yeah. 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 And it's been really through quite a transformation of the patio made a huge difference. We suddenly had an outdoor living space, which is so nice to. So we've done a lot of repairs on a 1965 house. So there's, there's been those repairs and we actually bought two things that were like cool toys. And one of them is the this enclosed back patio it's what 12 by 14 feet it's got three doors going one door going out in each direction it's a screen porch it it's for about half of the year it makes a really nice outdoor living space yeah yeah and and then the first gardens we did like you said i think did we do one bed when we got a gertie's bed right birdies yep we bought birdies. a birdies bed oh, say, gee, sorry birdie <laughs> it's a birdie's bed <laughs> And, and did you, when did you build the wood one? That was later. 
That was right. later. Yeah, yeah, that was quite a bit later. And then we put some tomatoes in the ground, which did fantastic until we got five inches of rain in three or four days. Yep. And then the fungus showed up. So oh, yeah. it just took everything down. And uh, we've had some interesting experiments unbeknownst to us with tomatoes this year, which was pretty incredible. <laughs> let's let's yeah. go there, actually. So okay. what I've done over the past four months is we swaled. Uh, a swale is an uncontoured ditch. So we dug about 600 linear feet of swales in our backyard. Our backyard's, what, an acre and a half? And they're designed as water runs downhill to catch the water. And in those swales, we planted about a hundred elderberry plants. We planted stone fruit. We planted apples, uh, mulberries, blueberries, raspberries, and a few other miscellaneous plants. And as we were planting them, and let me tell you something, planting two or three or four trees is a way different gig than planting 160 trees and plants, which is what we ended up planting over the course of the summer. We got 160 of them in the ground. That was a project. The weekend that we arrived, we bought garden starts. Within a couple of weeks, I actually bought a worm bag from the Urban Worm Company, and we started worm composting. And by the time this past summer came about, it was time to harvest the worm castings. I harvested the worm castings, and in every single tree hole, I took a handful of our worm castings, and I put it in the wheelbarrow. And wouldn't you know those worm castings were full of tomato seeds. And so we must have had, what, 30, 40 tomato plants come up in the basins around the fruit trees? Yeah, I would say that's, without exaggerating, that would be correct. And all hybrids. So we had no idea. Like some of them were like, eh, not great. And then others were like, whoa, like really good. We had some yellow ones, some orange ones, some big slicing tomatoes, some some of those beautiful kind of purple and greenish ones, lots of little sugar plum like ones. And they're getting even just now, they're still out there, even after it's gone down to 35 degrees. And they're so sweet because the plant and the plant looks dead, like it's brown and, and crispy, but they're, the fruit is just, they want it to continue. So they put all the sweet into it, whatever's left. And they're still delicious. They have just been, so we've been giving them away because there's so many. We've probably given away to the people on our street. Uh, there's what, 25 houses on our street. And we just put a sign in a table down on the road said free tomatoes from Heidi and Greg's farm. And we've probably given away what, 40 pounds? Probably. I have a little basket that actually Tammy left us when she was here. Thanks, Tammy. <laughs> and and you'll be happy, Tammy, that I'm using it. And it's about five and a half to six pounds full when the tomatoes wow. are full. And I was doing that every day for a while. And then every other day was the norm all through through September. And it was pretty amazing. And the interesting thing is that the potted tomato plants that we potted and watered, the fungus, the whatever, the malady that got the tomatoes, pretty much took them out and they didn't produce much. It's the ones that were planted and volunteered in the tree holes that only got rainwater and maybe a couple of waterings along the way that thrived. It's like, all right, permaculture, what's to learn here? So yeah. 
one of the swales that I actually cut and left empty, we filled it with woody mulch, is for tomatoes for next year because we're just gonna we're gonna put in a bunch of tomatoes in in more that area. More castings and more more <laughs> exactly because there's gonna be a whole lot more seeds in there now because wow we've eaten a lot of tomatoes we can't eat them fast enough and some of them have gone bad and I just put them in the compost bin. It was interesting realizing that to some degree it's the overcare of something, trying to micromanage it, have it in a pot, spread the fungus more. And like you said, the, and the only watering it got the two times that you did it manually was the, the tube type irrigation. Yeah. 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 So it wasn't from the top. So it didn't splash up the fungus. And really they did an amazing job and tomatoes that people who do grow tomatoes successfully here, they all look like Charlie Brown tree style tomatoes. They're like right. kind of scrawny you trim them up so they don't get fungus and then you end up with just the twig at the end with the <laughs> clusters of tomatoes yeah and these got stringy too we didn't prep the fields where they were coming up we didn't put up supports for them and they still just like the ones that haven't frozen are the ones that were down on the ground and not there's so many the bugs didn't get them all so i'll pull like a right beautiful tomato kind of in the leaves and in the ground and it's perfect so yeah it's a great lesson. Yeah. For me here, because you think you come here, there's all this water about three inches a month. Is that three about right? A month. Yep. Yeah. That you think, Oh, coming from the desert, it's, we're not going to. And then you realize, Oh, there's a whole other pest pressure to deal with. There was a whole other, whole other factor going on. So that was encouraging. Our tomato experience has been encouraging. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So we got, and I'll be posting some videos. I've been doing walk through the orchard on the first of each month. And I have August, September, and October that I'm editing out now. And those will go uh, up on a, my YouTube channel. So you can see the difference. I'm going to do those every month. And then it'll start coming out the first of every month. So you can, you all can see them. So we got gardens in. One of the really cool things that we did. Thank you, Miss Heidi is we have this area in our backyard that's it's on the east side of the house so it late in the afternoon the house gets in the way but it, there's still enough sun to grow there but it had a nice slope to it and we had a guy come in and for six thousand dollars he'd come in and put in a nice retaining wall for us and it's hold on your time out that's not going to work and Heidi suggested I don't even know where this came from Heidi suggested that we use metal stock tanks to hold back soil and flatten out the entire area. So to dig the, them in, yeah, dig them into the side. So we use that instead of putting a bunch of retaining blocks and we dig it slightly into the hill. And then that, what is it? Six foot, seven foot long. We've got two of those six there. Foot, they're six foot long. Yep. Yeah. That then we don't end up with just a bunch of expensive brick, but we end up with planters and then we build steps down the hill. And then wood chip man here had <laughs> yeah. tons and tons of wood chips. And so basically Literally. we built the platform and you had some retaining wall that you built, which was great. And between the pill shaped stock tanks, you drilled holes in the bottom of the stock so, tanks Yep, of exactly. the stock tanks for water drainage, but then you don't have to deal with the gophers coming up underneath that too. Right. Uh, so that was helpful. <clears throat> and it's pretty amazing. We ended up with this platform of it's a level. And what's great about it. What are one of the things you say in permaculture, having your gardens closest to your kitchen. So that's yep. that zone 
of I can go out, we get basil, we get salad stuff, we get whatever, broccoli leaves, and it's right there, which is fabulous. And so that's, that was an exciting project. And it's really nice to be able to walk out and have that platform. And then I built the steps one weekend because I was tired of doing the big clunk. Drop down, yep. And, and YouTube has taught me a lot about how to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me tell you something, man. Anytime Heidi wants to learn something, she goes and YouTubes it. And you've come up with so many incredible ideas off of that. I uh, Thanks for the teachers that are doing that. <laughs> so this area, we actually bought two more stock tanks. And we'll, I don't know why the balloons come. <laughs> do a peace sign and the balloons show up. And I have no idea. <laughs> For those of you that are listening in Zoom, when I do a peace sign, I get balloons flying up around everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Funny thing. So we bought two more stock tanks and we're going to double the size of our garden area. The garden area is maybe, what, 15 by 20, the current one? Yeah. Yeah. And so it'll be almost triple that size for next season. Yeah. And basically what we do is we dig down a couple inches and put the stock tanks in and, and then fill them with soil, the good stuff and backfill everything behind them with woody mulch. We had two feet of woody mulch that we put in there. Yeah. Um, So on one side of the stock tank, it's about that far up with wood chips. And then on the other end of the stock tank, I can walk down the steps And if I was going to gather a lot, I could sit on the edge of the stock tank there. And I'm thinking easy gardening. So if I'm not wanting to lean down so close to the ground. So on the so basically what she's saying is that on the garden side of the stock tank, the woody mulch comes up to the top rim. So two feet tall. We have two feet of woody mulch. And then on the bottom side, it's just two inches down in the ground. So we can actually sit on the stock tank, which is yeah, really cool. And then there's the barn. I've, I just started calling it the barn this week. I'll have pictures of that coming. And the barn is an area downhill from the garden area. And I put up a privacy fence. Me and my buddy Andy built a privacy fence so that the people couldn't see us from the street, although the street's a good what, 25 feet below our backyard. So I put up a privacy fence. And now what we're in the process of doing is building a platform that is eight feet wide and 32 feet long. The first 10 feet closest to the house is uh, where the tool shed's gonna go. The next 10 feet will be, and the tool shed will be completely enclosed. The, The Next area will be an uh, open on one side with a potting shed. So a potting area and a wood drying area. And then the third 12 feet, the 10 feet and then 10 feet. And then the last 12 feet is going to be a predator proof chicken coop. So that hopefully in March, we'll be able to get our first batch of chickens here. Yeah, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready for some chickens. Yeah. And we're really excited about that. I'll have pictures and videos coming out about that pretty soon as well. And then our latest project, which we literally finished this weekend. We're still working on it, but. Heidi has been looking for months for a little greenhouse and this company called Yardistry, uh, like artistry with yard at the beginning of it, Yardistry, 
they have a little, for us, it'll be our starter greenhouse. Six, yeah, just over six foot by like almost eight feet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's really well built. This is really sturdy. And it was like Tinker Toys. And it literally took us the past month to get all the parts in place. And as we assembled the base, interestingly, is one of the hardest parts. The base is uh, needed to be level and square. And Heidi decided that she wanted to put a four by six base that the greenhouse would actually sit on. So the greenhouse is six inches higher than what it normally would be. Um, and so we've been tinker toying it together over the past month. And just this last Saturday, we put up the walls and on Sunday we put up the roof and Today, we finished the floor. You want to talk about that? Yeah, it was, that was, you know, we built chicken coops and chicken runs together, you and I, but that, this was a kit that had very specific instructions. It was cedar woods. They tend to warp a little bit more, though it's really nice, smells great and weathers well. And it was just like a, a cool challenge, but a lot of research, a lot of figuring out, neither of us are carpenters in our past. <laughs> so even like figuring out like, and the difference between I'm the precision one and Greg's, oh, that looks about right. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah. And in building square structures, that's an interesting process, but it is beautiful. I'm really thrilled that we got it all together and that it worked when the, the main, you're putting everything in, you're hoping the trusses and the roof, like it actually it's going to work. So it was, it was a triumph this weekend to, yeah. to get that up. And we put a little cute, just pavers, simple 12 inch, 12 by 12 pavers, gray and the red and did a little checkerboard inside as the floor. And then Greg did some smaller bricks along the edge. You also piped it. We pre-piped it for uh, conduit and for water. Yep. So even though it's small, it'd be nice to have that yep. uh, available. Cool. And the first thing is Greg would be eager to say is that it's where we're going to put our citrus until we have a bigger green. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, That's the whole reason. The whole, we buy a green for his. Yes. So the man's passionate about caracaras and navels, as you all know, and I felt uh, bad for him. And this one thing that does not grow readily here is citrus. But we they've survived the year and a half. Yep. Some are actually the the two was it two or three carried with us on three we brought with three us three on the road trip. Yeah, yeah, the three came on the road trip. Yeah. A yeah. Mineola Tangelo for you, mm -hmm. and a Carnival and a Trevita Orange for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, that's one of the reasons. It's not that's not the only reason. We also have a couple peaches, don't we? That'll go in there. One peach. One then. peach. We brought one a desert the gold. Yeah, we brought a desert gold peach with us. I do miss my desert gold peach. Yeah. Oh my goodness. When yeah. And we left right before they were gonna be ready to right. painful. No lead and Ryan can enjoy these along with the kids. Yeah. But yes, so we'll do uh, plant starts in there. I'll put in some of the patio plants that I usually bring inside. I'll be able to hang in there. So there's little hooky do's to hang. There's shelves that come with it, um, an eight-inch shelf and a 16 inch shelf, I think that's mm -hmm. a little lower. And then it'll just be, we might even do our tower garden. We're going to see if it fits. Yeah. 
and our tower garden there will give us some greens and tower gardens are great. So we can, yeah. we can uh, put uh, that in there and have electricity and have water to fill it and all that. And yeah, yeah. so it's very exciting. It's like a cute little hobbit <laughs> polycarbonate cedar. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's, it's absolutely sweet. beautiful. All it right. is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we got a couple of chicken questions here. Okay. Uh, chickens, what breed? I know that I don't, this is just a number, not a name. So I don't know who this is from. Chickens, what breed? Copper Moran lay cool copper colored eggs. Mm, I'll have to look into that. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> and then Enoch says, I'm getting chickens too this year. Any breeds you recommend? So I'm going to let you jump in here in a minute, Heidi, but sure. what y'all have to remember is that we were raising chickens in Arizona. So the breeds are going to be a little bit different here. Although I suspect we will have, whereas in Phoenix, we had a, an evaporative cooler in the chicken coop. I suspect our chicken coop here is going to have a, a heater in it. Probably. Probably. Yeah. We're so, going to we'll insulate and have walls we can put in and take out. I'm not sure the breeds, but what I aim for, and it depends on what you're looking for. If you're just looking for heavy layers and I don't know how, what kind was chicken? Remember we just named her chicken. She's like the leghorn leghorn. Yeah. Yeah. A leghorn. Such a cool chicken Heavy. because she's so independent, but totally squirrely. And yeah. boy, are they layers, right? That's why they're yeah. unfortunately factory farm chickens often. But she's like a daily layer for many years. For me, I this is what I aim for. Chickens that are a little more docile, friendly. They are built for wanting to be pets. They want to be held. They want to be interactive with humans. They're not so squirrely. One of the goals when I came to the urban farm and Greg and I moved back in there and I had 22 chickens all of a sudden that I hadn't had chickens since I was like eight years old. They were hard because they were just wily chickens. They were hard to care for, to check on, to pick up, to see, are they healthy? Was anything going on? And so that was one of my goals as a chicken owner, as I raised them, as I, I, and then I just fell in love with them. Then they became their personalities. They were definitely pets. They were therapeutic. Uh, they were amazing. So I'm going to be looking for good layers, ones that handle the four seasons that we have. It's certainly not Minnesota, but still it gets chilly here. And it can get humid in the summers. So I'll look for that and I'll look for I'd some cool colored eggs too. So <laughs> whether yeah. they're copper or blue green, but depends. I, when I, in Phoenix, I really looked for w at least things that I had researched. It talked about the size of the comb. It's like a sweating heat regulating factor of the chicken. At least that's what I had learned. Mm -hmm. And the bigger combs could handle Phoenix heat typically better from what I learned. And they also need to stand in like cooler water. That's one of the ways they regulate when it's real hot and the water has to be a decent enough temperature. They're going to drink it. So it can't, so yeah. we would ice our water in Phoenix. So it's going to be different here. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be different here. And I'm not sure what breeds, maybe some will cross over. I had, what were the multicolored ones? Easter eggers. Americana. Americana, Easter eggers. Yeah. And we had buffs, which some of my favorite were the buffs. We had what they called, and I've looked them up and it's a little bit different breed, but what in Phoenix they called the black and white ones, the Bard Rocks. Yeah. Bard, yeah. Plymouth, Plymouth Bard Rocks. 
and they were pretty cool. They could be ornery too, but they had great personalities. And, and that's really the group that I raised the last time we were there and they were great. Yeah. Yeah. It says I, I have really hot summers like Arizona. I think you're up in uh, Portland area, Enoch, right? Portland or Washington. I know you're in the Pacific Northwest, but he said, then it gets down in the late twenties during the winter. That's about what we get here. Mm-hmm. Mid to mid to upper twenties. Dennis wanted to know how cold it gets. It gets into the mid to upper twenties. And yes, we had snow. We had snow once last year, this last season. And I was in Phoenix. I was so bummed. Because he's never seen snow. Right. <laughs> You've never seen it fall, right? Seen exactly. it on the ground. I've but seen yeah. It, yeah, because as a very young kid, I used to ski. Yeah, I would say that would be the cold end of an Asheville area winter and 30 higher thirties into forties is fairly common on a regular basis, but yeah, it can dip down. (laughs) Oh yeah. It can definitely dip down and it's unusual to get snow. If we do get snow, it's usually melted off within the day or two days max. Yeah. And we're not super high. There are, we have to the microclimates here are pretty nuts. You turn a corner, you go up a mountainside, you get a different microclimate there. You go up another 200, 500,000 feet, which is hard to do here because there are lower, very ancient mountains. They're rolling more than our yeah. traditional Rocky Mountains or Phoenix Mountains, but it can be very different. So if you live up in the smaller towns up north, you may get snowed in. You may get, if you live in a holler, which is like a cul-de-sac with trees. (laughs) So if you're down in one of those and all you have is shade, you're even once a year snow will stick around and it's, it's definitely colder. So that was one of our goals being Phoenicians and being used to being able to see out in front of us. We, we knew our friends that had moved from Phoenix years ago, they said, don't get yourself in a holler now. So we knew we needed to be able to breathe and see and all of that. And and I'm really happy with our space. I think it checks a lot of boxes there. Yeah. Yeah. The picture behind me is our front yard that's looking west. And right now, all of those, most of those leaves have fallen off those trees so we can see through it. Any final thoughts, Miss Heidi? No, just that I'm enjoying the process here. I've never lived in a space where we actually had orchards. I'm very excited about my raspberries and oh yes you are blackberries. Like first year, I'm still getting like a handful. They're not even supposed to really produce this year, but they've done a great job. So to get and berries are so expensive, right? So I'm so excited to to grow our mulberries oh, yeah. are amazing in Phoenix too. But it's really fun to grow raspberries here. Yeah, it'll yeah be I'm just up for the adventure. So yeah. I'm enjoying it'll be it. interesting. It'll be interesting to see how the mulberries do here because we've planted three different kinds of mulberries here. Dennis says, at least you will not have to dig in deep for uh, front line for water lines. Yep, that's true. Although he was talking about the cold in the winter, I did dig down 18 inches. So the water line going to the greenhouse is 18 inches down. Enoch says, you mentioned all those trees. What varieties? I've got three different kinds of elderberries. I got three different kinds of mulberries. I got a dozen different kinds of stone fruit, the Zager genetic stone fruits from Dave Wilson Nursery. And apples. And some apples. Yep. And some pawpaws. Now, pawpaws are, they're native. So, yeah. yeah. 
and we have those. Oh yeah. And I didn't talk about the pond much, but we did find, you've probably talked about this in other chats, but we found a pond buried in our front yard and we came upon it and he just buried it two months, two months before we bought the place. Two months before we bought the place. And yeah. So as we were digging it out, it became just a mud hole on our journey to clear it out because it was just the liner. Everything was buried. It was insane. Like 200 flagstone rocks. Yeah. It was a mess. And the front yard was all spongy. We're like, why are we walking like on some crazy spongy thing? Anyway, so that was a whole other story, but we did end up refurbing the pond. I spent a lot of hours on it and we had some frogs, toads show up the first year and this year was just booming. We had hundreds of- Hundreds of- Of tadpoles. Of, yeah, we ended up with American and Southern toads and these awesome, cute little gray tree frogs. Oh my gosh, I'm so in love with them. And They're about the size of a dime, right? No, they get about about like that size as adults. They're colored like lichen. So they just blend into lichen oh, right. trees and they have bright yellow inner legs and they have the little nubby fingers. So they're just <laughs> so cute. And they would come take a dive into the, the pond in the afternoon to cool off. And they all hung out. Like we had adults hanging out, then the little bitty babies, little tic-tac toads about the size of my pinky fingernail. And I've had one friend say, so why frogs and toads? What's your thing? I said, first of all, it's trying to boost the great need of uh, propagating and helping amphibians along Mm because they are some of the base important food chain for everything all the way up to the great blue heron, which we have here. And secondly, they are a wonderful permaculture addition to our space. One toad in your yard will eat up to 10,000 insects in a summer. That's amazing. Uh, And this puddle, here's the amazing thing. This puddle of water that we have in our front yard is, it's a pond and it's, turns out it's what, eight feet wide by 12 feet long, maybe? About eight by 12. And we don't have any fish in there. Frogs won't lay there. Yeah. And we didn't have any mosquitoes in there this year because we had hundreds of, and this was so cool. I thought I was walking around the pond and I said, that's interesting that the locusts are here, but how did the locusts end up in the middle of the pond on a grass piece of grass in the middle of the pond? And I had no idea what dragonfly larva looked like. I did see some freaky pond bugs in there. I was like, wow, we had six different pond bugs, which was a good sign. And then I figured out, oh my gosh, that's dragonfly and damsofly larva. And so they were popping, crawling out and you'd see these funky little skeletons all over. And then they'd come back, these big, beautiful, one was like a five, six incher. It was amazing. I know, right? They'd come back and drink from the pond and hang there. And I'm hoping their babies come back because totally handled the mosquito population. Yeah, I had to go check Kismet's dog water bowl every day because they would lay, the mosquitoes would lay there very successfully. But our eight by 12 pond, I never saw a wiggler in there, no yeah. skeeters. So that was impressive. I was so happy. Like I looked up healthy ponds and they said, if you got dragonflies and you got, and we have little snails and stuff in there and you have happy pond bugs and you have frogs and toads showing up and we don't have any filtration system or anything. It's just, Doing yeah, it's just thing. a puddle of water. <laughs> it is. So well, anyway, and, I'm like a little kid, like out there uh, every day looking for at those it. of you that don't know this. Most of you don't know this. My first business when I was 15, I used to clean service and build fish ponds in Phoenix. And I 
stumbled across it. One day I was hanging out at the fish store, which I hung out a lot at the age of 15. Back in the 70s, I'd ride my bike to the fish store. I'd help him bag fish. And one day he said, Greg, you want to help me clean a fish pond on Sunday? And so I said, heck yeah, 15 year old mucking out a fish pond. So uh, I went and did that. And when we were done, he said, I don't want to do this anymore. How about if you do it? And I was in business for myself. I'd previously had a paper out. And so for about a decade, I cleaned, service and built fish ponds and built aquaculture ponds. I converted swimming pools for people to grow fish in, to eat. I did all kinds of cool stuff and from the mid 70s to the mid 80s. Yeah. I have a background in fish ponds a long time ago. <clears throat> so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, Miss Heidi. You have a business and I can you tell us a little bit about what you do and Sure. Yeah. I have taught yoga and meditation and movement and yoga nidra now since 2017, all of the full deal since uh, 1999. So 24 years. And I taught at Desert Song Yoga. Some of you may have known that in Phoenix and uh, it was such a wonderful place to be. Had wonderful teachers, wonderful mentors, Never wanted to really teach online. Wasn't really my desire. I didn't even want to do like online workshops or anything. I just had this aversion to it. So COVID comes and within seven days, I have an up and running. This is the yoga studio behind me here. And in, it was, this was at the urban farm. And I reached out to students far and wide through my email list of 21 years at that point and had some really cool connections of people who had moved away, some in Portland, some in the Midwest, some in California, one, a couple in Europe that started to then go, Hey, yeah, I want to do your yoga. I'm so glad I have this opportunity. So I've been teaching that way ever since, which just blows my mind. So I teach uh, five classes a week now, Monday through Friday. I offer recordings, fresh recordings of every class I do. I record. Now I've put up a website this year, which was a big, oh my gosh, a big thing. And it has over 80 of my classes categorized there that I've moved over to there. So it's, it's like an on-demand thing. All my classes have been done since Desert Song, unfortunately, closed a couple of years ago. So I was doing my group online and then Desert Song group online. Now they're melded into one. And I just have done it on a donation basis. So that has been really just a positive experience of being able to offer classes and access to people who didn't have the funds or a lot of people, gosh, everything everyone went through and continue to go through with COVID. And it's been a, a very interesting journey. I think I took to the online more than I suspected and I continue to love it. It's, I get to connect with the students who show up live stream, which is really helpful. So I'm not just talking to, a, I call it the like the a bubble that you're living in this bubble and no one's really there and you're trying to act like you're really interacting. So I love having the live stream classes with folks. And then, and then I have these opportunities for people to get it later. The, the cool thing is though, that you're teaching for us boomers. I'm solidly in the boomer generation. And so this isn't yoga standing on your head yoga. This is how to move, how to make sure that you stay, create a healthy body long-term as we yeah. age, right? 
Yeah, it's definitely, it's become, I studied alignment-based yoga from the beginning into therapeutics. I got very interested into other movement modalities that would enhance what I knew in my body. I wasn't quite getting, I never did just straight sun salutations though. I definitely taught them and they were a part of my practice. Now it's, I don't even really fully know how to describe it, except for it's a mix of functional movement, natural alignment theory, primal movement, dance around movements, just to get like Twyla Tharp talks about, get big, take up space, get some energy of dynamic movement, which we don't always get unless you're doing a heavy vinyasa flow class or something. And to really always and take care of our joints and our spines and to modulate and learn how to self-regulate not only your nervous system, but your choices so that you know what your body needs in any movement and any time of the day, every day you wake up so that you're learning that sort of enhanced understanding of what you need within you. And all that's couched with my years of experience through working with Mary Beth Marcus and the wonderful people there of self-compassion of honor your body. This isn't a pain for gain thing. And to really tune in to all the gifts that are inwardly experienced through quieting the mind, through breath, through meditation, and not trying to perfect anything. It's all just this process that we're in and, and really what it means to the real self-care versus the do this and all will be well. We know things aren't well right now. <laughs> We're all in the muck of it, whatever our personal lives and whatever we see in the world. Mm -hmm. So it's an offering of how do we practice being present to what is, yeah. and then how do we move forward with some amount of grace and kindness from that? Hmm. Yeah. I'm over here smiling big. Guess what guys? She's with me. <laughs> I'm a happy camper. Let's see here. Peter says, thanks so much for sharing your journey and well done on your hard work, setting up your new garden, following per permaculture principles. Uh, no doubt you will be rewarded by mother nature for the many years, for many years to come. Thank you. Tammy says, thank you for letting us share in your amazing, unpredictable, unpredictable fun journey. Look forward to visiting in another season. Let's see here. Enoch says, my back is constantly telling me that I need yoga in my life. Yes, that is the case. That would help a lot. And Maureen says, I enjoyed being here to learn about your new home and the two of you. Thank you. Brenda says, great talk, Greg and Heidi. Good luck with the chickens. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And people can find you at? They can find me at my website is www.yogawithheidi.org. And then if you are interested in the, the online, it's very, it's not high tech at all. I email you personally. You go through a little Zoom waiver, you get a once a week newsletter and Zoom invites from me, and then you can access through a dollar a year, the membership site, and then you can donate if and, and when it's possible for you. And so it's, it's just a personal intake with me. We can chat so you can find me there and you can also email me at Heidi at urban urbanfarm.org. Yeah. 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 So you can find yeah. me there too. Yeah. Yoga at Heidi, yoga with Heidi.org is your website. Yes. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yes. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Miss Heidi. Thank you, everybody, for joining us and have a great day. We'll talk to you next month. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye, guys. Good to be here. Bye.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.